Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837, and FSP, dedicated to food service excellence. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, it's a special blessing that this year the Feast of All Souls falls on a Sunday so that we can, in a particularly universal way as a church, meditate upon the dead, the beloved dead, those for whom we pray. You know, like most religions around the world, Catholic Christianity honors and reveres the dead. When I was studying over in Europe, it always struck me when you walk around the great churches how present the dead are in a very physical, literal way. The most remarkable example, I think I've told you about it already, is the famous Bone Church in Rome. It's a church of the Capuchins attached to their monastery. And when you go in the church, what you notice is the altar, the candle stands, all the decorations and so on, are made literally of the bones of the friars who've lived in that monastery over the centuries. And if you look closely, you'll see in certain corners, there'll be literally the body of one of the friars in a kind of wasted-away state, still wearing his habit. And there he is. So that in this church you are literally surrounded by the dead. Once I was in the church of San Ignacio in Rome, and it was a early evening, kind of a dusky time of day. It was dark in the church, and I was wandering around a side altar. And I tripped over a little step, and I fell down, I looked up, and I was literally face to face with my patron saint. There was St. Robert Bellarmine. His body is on display under one of the side altars. And I had literally tripped right into contact with him. When I was in France, of course, in the great cathedrals, there are burial places. The dead are under the church. The relics are all over the place in the walls and so on. St. Peter's built upon the tomb of Peter. The columns of that great Bernini Baldacchino are, are reliquaries. Catholic churches contain, in a very literal, physical way, the dead, and it symbolizes this Catholic sense of our contact with them. Now, how do we make sense of it? What does it mean? Well, I think first, in a very ordinary way, we remember the dead, and we realize how they are even now influencing us. Just for me, two great examples. My father, who's been gone now for about 17 years, but my father is, is in me in hundreds of ways. You know, physically, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, his influence is all over me. He's still alive, and I can sense his presence through memory. St. Thomas Aquinas, as you know, is my hero. He's the greatest theologian in the history of the church. And Aquinas influences me very much to this day in my own choice of life and choice of vocation, in what I read and write. Thomas, through memory, is very much of a living presence for me. But there's more to it than that. 
It's not simply a question of remembering the dead and seeing how they influence us from the past. Rather, we believe that the dead are also present to us in a lively way now. There's a kind of coherence with the dead. We believe that though they are in a different dimension, they're beyond this dimension of space and time, yet they impinge upon us, yet they can interact with us. Andrew Greeley, the Chicago priest, has done a lot of sociological research on religion. He wrote an article some years ago called America, a Nation of Mystics. And what he found was when you scratch the surface of people's lives, you find hundreds of stories about contacts with the dead. People that hear the voices of the dead or see them or feel a contact with them. Well, I think that's just part of our, our Catholic spirituality. My two examples of my father and Thomas Aquinas, my father is not just someone I remember. My father is someone that I'm in contact with now through prayer, asking him to pray for me, asking him to guide me. Thomas Aquinas, I keep a little relic of him. I have three of them, actually. I keep one right near my computer so that when I am doing my theological work in my little minor way, I can call on him. And I really do. I touch that relic. And as I begin my work, the beginning of the day, I'll pray for his guidance. And when I find myself caught in a especially difficult theological problem, I will very consciously ask him to guide me. The dead are far from us in one sense, sure, out of this dimension of space and time. But they are also, we are convinced, very close to us. How wonderful during this month of November that we remember the dead. There's something about the shortness of the days and the falling leaves and the Christmas of the air that just opens us to a more contemplative, more meditative frame of mind. And so we become aware of the presence of the dead. But on All Souls Day, there's a third dimension that I think we especially emphasize. And that is our prayer for the dead. Our prayer for them. Look, there are holy souls who are in full friendship with God, who have died and have now gone into complete intimacy with God. They share the divine life fully. But there are other holy souls, friends of God, who are nevertheless not fully sanctified not fully participating in the divine life, not fully sharing the divine friendship. We're convinced that there are people, there are souls, if you will, who need to be purged, who need to be purified. The effects of sin from this life have to be purged away or burned away before they are ready for that full intimacy with God. I'm talking, of course, about this doctrine of purgatory. Controversial, yes, especially since the Reformation. Many of the Reformers called this doctrine into question. Can I suggest, though, to you that purgatory is a deeply hopeful doctrine? Is it simply an all-or-nothing proposition? If someone dies in a state of less than complete sanctity, that it's, it's hopeless for them. Well, no, this doctrine teaches us that. 
Those who die, and let's face it, that's most of us, those who die not in full intimacy with the Lord, not fully ready for the divine life, do require this time, this hopeful time of purgation, of purification. You know what? Let me talk about it now in terms of some images. I think something as mysterious as the doctrine of purgatory is perhaps best gotten to, not so much through conceptual reflection, but through an imagistic suggestion. Here's the first image, and I borrow this from Cardinal George. I heard him say this a few years ago. He said, imagine that a kindly grandmother has arrived, and her grandchildren are out in the backyard, and they're playing in the mud. Now, would that grandmother happily receive those grandchildren with unconditional love if they came in covered in mud? Well, sure, that's her nature. She's, she's, she loves them. However, do the children know at some basic level that for a meeting as, as beautiful and meaningful as that, to come and greet their grandmother, it would be inappropriate for them to do so covered in mud? Don't they feel a need to purify themselves, to ready themselves for this kind of splendid encounter? So the cardinal was suggesting holy souls who would be, even in their muddiness, received by God, nevertheless feel in themselves the need to purify and ready themselves for this embrace from the divine love. Here's a second set of images. I'm borrowing from Dante's great divine comedy. Remember, divided into three sections. The Inferno, about hell. The last one, the Paradiso, about heaven. But the middle section, the Purgatorio, about this time I'm describing, the purgatorial time. Dante imagines purgatory as a great mountain. And the souls have to climb it on various levels and purge themselves of the various deadly sins whose effects are still in them. They do so by two means. In some cases, the sinners are made to feel the effects of their sin. So the prideful, for example, are weighed down by great boulders. It's as though they're made to feel the weight that the ego places on them. Others, however, are made to run in the opposite direction of their sin. So those who are slothful, those who are too lazy spiritually, they're made to run around the Mount of Purgatory. The idea is in both cases, something like a purging is taking place. Something like a burning away of the effects of sin, readying the person for union with God. Here's another detail from the Divine Comedy which I find interesting. Dante says, the souls themselves know when they're ready. They're not so much released by God, they release themselves when they know they're ready. Remember that scene from the great movie, The Mission? Robert De Niro plays this nefarious figure called Mendoza, who was a slave trader, he was a murderer, a kidnapper, thoroughly despicable character. In a fit of jealousy at the beginning of the movie, he kills his own brother in cold blood. And then, sitting in prison, in a kind of deep despair, overwhelmed by guilt, he's visited by a priest. And the priest invites him to come to his mission. Mendoza, after some resistance, says, Okay, I'll go. But what I will do is I will carry, I will drag behind me a sort of net filled with all the symbols and accoutrements of my past life. 
So helmets and muskets and swords and so on. And he drags this terrible burden all through the jungle, across rivers and finally up a mountain. People in their party say to the priest, this is too much, make him stop. And the priest says, no, until he feels he's done enough. I don't feel he's done enough. Finally, only when he gets to the village, at the top of this mountain, does De Niro let go of the burden. He knows now it's time. Now he's purged himself adequately. Something of the same thing in Dante, that the soul in purgatory knows when he or she is ready for union with God. Here's an image from Jürgen Moltmann, one of the greatest Protestant theologians of the 20th century. And I heard him speak up in Marquette a couple years ago. And he might be surprised by this because normally, as I say, the reformers resisted this doctrine of purgatory. But I asked Moltmann about it. He said this. He said, I think of purgatory this way, as though someone like Hitler, so a great sinner, Hitler is being forced to look into the faces of all the people that he is made to suffer. That's his purgatory. He's made to look at all those faces of the people he's made to suffer, all those millions upon millions of people. What will that accomplish? It will purge him, Moltmann said. It will purge him of the effects of sin and prepare, yes, even Hitler perhaps, for eternal life. I thought that's pretty close to a Catholic sense of the importance of purgatory. So on this Feast of All Souls, with these images in mind, with the closeness of the dead very much in your mind, think of someone right now, friend, parent, family member, someone you love, maybe even someone from the distant past. And in a very conscious way this day, pray for that person. And realize that that person too is praying for you. Realize on this holy day, the feast of all souls, that the dead are very close to us and we to them. And let those prayers move back and forth. God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. School meals are as easy as ABC with FSP, an agency of the Archdiocese of Chicago. FSP provides nutritious, affordable, and easy-to-implement breakfast, lunch, and snack options for elementary and high schools. To find out about our student-tested and approved meal programs, call us at 773-385-5103. FSP, we're more than a school food service.